Hello and welcome to the Extreme Cinema Podcast with me, Alexander Sternberg, and Dom Loach. How's it going, Dom? It's going well. How are you, Stanley? It's good. It's good. Welcome to this slightly impromptu episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, we should tell the story of how this one came to be, I guess. Yeah, um, because uh, today's film is uh, Andrzej Zawalski's Possession from 1981, and this week was meant to be The Devils, which you would have heard last week, but I was fortunate enough to get to go see this in the cinemas, and I was like, hey, this works for the podcast pretty perfectly, and it was uh, was absolutely amazing seeing it in the cinema, and uh, Prano Bailey Bond, who directed uh, fucking Censor, fantastic film, everyone go and watch Censor, it's amazing. Um, gave an introduction when she was reading uh, correspondence in the BFI archives about set about possession, and it was it was it was absolutely insane, which I'll mention later on. I did not know that you didn't tell me about that bit. Oh, I forgot it was a thing. I was trying. I wanted to like say hi to her at the bar before, but she was like clearly like networking with people and chatting to like a ton of people. I was like, I I I'm not gonna like push my way through. But I I adored Censor. I thought it was just a terrific film. Uh, yeah, you, sh- you should have pretended you were important. <laughs> Hello! <laughs> I'm Mr. Film Man. <laughs> How do you do? I uh, I have a podcast, you know, like every white man has ever said to him. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, would you like to go on my podcast? Oh, that's the third time I've been told this this week. <laughs> that film has totally changed the discourse back to video Nazis for like the last month, which is very convenient because of the podcast. It's very nice for us. I've not even seen Sensor yet, but it's very nice for us. <sighs> You're going to adore it. Um... But yeah, I think Possession, which is a video nasty, and it's probably the most unusual video nasty, would you not say? Oh, easily. It's the most artsy video nasty as well. Like, the most actual film video nasty out of them all. The most intentionally incomprehensible one. Oh my god, (laughs) yeah. I only watched it today, and I'm still trying to comprehend what any of it was. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it was so good in the cinema. Like, I mean, the screen was sort of packed out. We had to book tickets a bit in advance. And, oh, it, the intensity. It was just like, it starts and you're all just glued to the screen the second it begins. Yeah, it's crazy because you messaged me after you'd seen it. And were like, that was such an experience. And I'd not watched it yet. So I was watching it. Like, oh my god, imagine this in the cinema, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I, I, what's really great about this film is, you know, ultimately, it's it's about the collapse of a marriage. and it, the, the similarities between this and the first film we've done, Antichrist, there, there's a lot of them. Oh, it's, yeah, it's so, like, close to Antichrist, like, the theming and everything. I mean, maybe not as strong as Antichrist theme-wise, and it's... It's not as artsy, even though it kind of is. It's a very weird, um, very weird film to try and comprehend at all. Well, I, I think it's, um, it's, it's, it's quite slightly impenetrable, especially some of the themes around faith are just like, what even is this? But uh, uh, this is one of those films 
which I don't say about many films. Like, I, Lynch is my favorite director. I wouldn't really say this about any of Lynch's films, even. But it's like a, a work of utter madness. Like, Andre Zywalski has to be fucking mad, right? Like, you don't make this film unless you're actually mental. Oh, yeah. Like, some of the scenes are just unbelievable. I mean, I remember reading actor testimonies just like, this is the hardest thing I've done. Like, Sam Neill said he'd never go that far again or that extreme. Oh, I can imagine. It's it's such a it's such a weird script though. The way everyone everyone speaks like so theatrically, and you have you have a complete understanding of everyone's emotion. I mean, really, you have an understanding of everyone's emotion, but you have an understanding of what's going on, what they're saying, and everything. But at a lot of points in the film, and it gets more and more like this the further you go along. They're not really speaking like human beings. <laughs> no, not even a little bit. It's so weird. Like, I think that's the thing this film is completely, is just weird and utterly insane. Like, it's the closest film I've seen to to just depicting madness. Like, utter... You have no idea what's going to happen. Like, at any point. Totally. It's weird and utterly insane, but because it's about this sort of collapse of the mar- of this marriage and the end of the world and these two very human people, you can, f- like, totally follow it and totally get, like, very emotionally engaged in it. Oh, yeah, especially, like, the first half is, like... I mean, it's still mental, but it is, like, this collapse of a marriage kind of idea. And a lot of it takes place in, the, in, this, in these flats and... Everyone, one thing I really like about the film is sort of every flat has its own personality. Like, you've got their kind of quite boring, very flat with all the rooms, and then you've got Heimrich, who's my favourite character, who's nuts and speaks like a crazy person. He's like big, luxurious flat. And then you have the flat in Kreuzberg where the thing is that's sort of dank and horrible. And that, I mean, my girlfriend pointed out to me when we were watching it, like, we, she's pretty sure we stayed very close to where this actual flat was when we were staying in Berlin. So it's now like a lot nicer of an area. Oh, wow, really? That's so cool. Just like, oh, I was near the terrifying monster thing. <laughs> <laughs> the terrifying from possession. I, lo- I love Berlin. I just love Berlin, the city. And I love the setting of being like right next to the Berlin Wall because it's got that like political element to it with sort of Sam Neill being a spook and whatnot. And I, I really love that setting. They look out their flat and they can see the, you know, East German patrol, you know, guards with their binoculars. It's it's very, very evocative. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's supposed to be quite a political film as well, isn't it? Like, a lot of subtext in there. I mean, I think they said they deliberately chose Berlin just because of the political subtext and everything. Hmm. Do you think it's, you know, a political film or do you think the politics is subtext for the marriage? I mean, like, because, you know, the end the end of the world happens at the end, World War Three, but that's clearly paralleled in the marriage. So do you think this is trying to say something about, you know, Cold War tension through a marriage or is the Cold War tension talking about the marriage or neither or both? <laughs> Honestly, probably both. We're good on this I mean, it's, Yeah, we're so good. It's, like you said, with, like, the two different apartments as well. Like, the old abandoned house and then the really nice house. It's, like, west and east almost and the fucking nuclear apocalypse at the end. It's... It's very... Final shot. 
Yeah, I know. It's very political, but also, like you say, that could just be through this marriage. It's very... <laughs> I think... I think we gotta we gotta talk about the acting. Uh, Isabella Jani winning Best Actor at Cannes for this. Obviously, this is like a powerhouse performance. This is terrifying on all fronts, and I adore Sam Neill. But like, this has got to be my favorite Sam Neill performance. And I love Jurassic Park, and I I, I really do like Event Horizon. I know, I know. <laughs> um, but my God, he and Hunt for the Wilder People. This is it, and Isabella Arjani, like, oh my god! Well, how I mean, how does one do all this? It's like the um, the only thing I'd ever seen of this film before I watched it was her freaking out in the subway. Like that scene is, I think, loads of people have seen that scene and not even know what it is. Just her having that mental breakdown and screaming and it's unreal like how does somebody push themselves to that like yeah that miscarriage scene like yeah yeah i could imagine someone watching that and going oh that's just you know she's just screaming for five minutes and banging about the place in the subway that's like nothing no she's pushing her body to like 11 and there's like intent and choreography behind that and like the intensity she must have to do, and that is w- basically one take. Sterner, you know like how a lot of the film is basically a lot of long takes. It is, yeah. You know how we love insane, um, like parallels on this podcast. I have one for you. Yeah, okay, <laughs> yes, <laughs> do it. And I will explain myself. But the scene that her screaming and like throwing herself around and how intense it is. Reminds me so much of the pie-eating scene from a ghost story. It's ridiculous. Okay, I'm done. The Extreme Simple <laughs> podcast is now over. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> we can't carry on. We're done. <laughs> the, the pretentious level is through the roof. It, it is, yeah. Okay. No, like, go, go right ahead, please. I think it's just the way in it's two actresses pushing the bodies, and it's obviously... It's two ends of the spectrum. Like, Rooney's Maras is this grounded, realistic, de- like, show of depression. And this is, like, this other side of the spectrum of, like, throwing yourself around and screaming for five minutes and losing it. But it just kind of reminds me of it on that it is two ends of the different spectrum kind of thing. I totally get it. I totally, I totally get it. Yeah, it, it, it works. I mean... That that scene is yeah, it's horrifying, and yeah, you know, there were some people in the cinema. It happens a lot at old horror movie screens. You get kind of a couple people giggling in the back. No one was at this. Oh really? Absolutely, no one was. I've seen that kind of thing before, where it's like a scene like that. You will get people, even usually uncomfortably, laughing and stuff like that. So it's crazy that there was none. Abs- absolutely none. Like, and, and also what I loved is the bit where she cuts herself with the the meat cutter. Like, someone literally just screamed at the top of their lungs outside. And I, I love that. Oh, did they actually? Yeah. I love that. It doesn't them. happen that often, a physical scream, but it's great. Yeah, but the, the acting is just unbelievable. I think that's what separates this from... Sam, Sam Neill as well. Yeah, separates it from so many of the video nasties we look at. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, what... what, what are, like... Really, I mean, nothing's anywhere near this level. I mean, I, I, more just because there's so much to talk about the acting. Like, 
there's uh, Isabelle Arjani. There's the ballet scene, which is actually, I think, the most horrific thing in the film for me was that ballet scene, and she's forcing that girl to stand upright. Oh yeah, it is crying. It is horrible. Which and the acting and it's shot so beautifully. Like all of this film is shot, and the other bit which is another thing people have seen because of the Every Frame a Painting um, essay on editing, is after Sam Neill hits her and she's like basically almost looking at the camera, which is such a rule break. And it holds on her face for 24 seconds after. Like that, that is powerful acting. Yeah, it's just incredible. Like, like all of it, like, because it, it... Video nasties get put in such a subcategory because it was like, oh, this was banned along with the Video nasties. This is going to be like the driller killer or something. And it's called possession. So people are just going to be like, <laughs> oh, this is some kind of like cheap ass possession movie. Like, and it's so much more than any of that. I mean, nobody even gets possessed. Like, <laughs> well, well, um, after we <laughs> after we came out, Zara was like, "Why even was that a video nasty?" I'm like, "I'm pretty sure it's it's when she's having sex with the monster, and that's it." That's what but it's like, got to be, yeah. But like, th- that's one of the things that's so um, baffling about the the whole scandal is they seem to have picked seventy gruesome films out of a hat. Like, there's a mix of like lowest common denominator, like Z grade horror, like you know, Love Camp Seven, um, Don't Go Into the Woods Alone. Uh, our next week pick as well. A mix of that. A mix of, like, European giallo slasher horror that's also a bit grim, but, like, you know, fairly, you know, mainstream for the horror genre. Um, for, or at least for, like, un- for, at least for sort of B-horror and underground horror. Then sort of films that were completely passed uncut, like Evil Dead and weren't a problem before, now was. And artsy shit like Possession and The Witch Who Came From The Sea. It's like just a hodgepodge, you know, like no thought into it. Yeah, exactly. It was literally just a, let's ban these things that we've we've heard of, basically. And like a, a, a slight digression, but I was on, I was on, I always go on like pages for censorship and whatnot for researching these episodes. And I scrolled to like the bottom of sort of films associated with the video nasty era. And there's a film which I'd never heard of before called The Fun House, not Fun House by Toby Hooper. And it said, note, this was probably the intended target when they went after Fun House by Toby Hooper. And I was like, (laughs) wow, the absolute incompetence. That's incredible. Just, I mean, it was just all incompetence, wasn't it? Like... Let's ban some films. Did you hear about the American cut of Possession that they made? Yeah, okay. I guess we'll talk censorship for a bit before going back into the filmmaking. Yep. Over one third of its runtime sliced out. Yeah, cut a third and made it into like a body horror. Like completely getting rid of all the themes. Like it's amazing. So basically, if you saw this in America in a cinema, you didn't watch the film. Like you just didn't see Possession. No, you saw some bastardized version of it that cut out all the themes of, like, anything to think about. Like, cut the marriage stuff completely, which is what the film is intended to be about. But this is what baffles me about it on the UK censorship front. It's like, what fucking teenager, right, is picking up a VHS of Andrzej Zawalski's Possession, putting it in the video player, and watching through 80 minutes of domestic drama to get to, to the bit where she kills someone... 
<laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Like, it's not being... It's it's just so... Not an exploitation film. It's just not an exploitation film, flat out. Well, no, it's not exploitation at all. Like, what? It, it's not even close. And, like, it was one of those instances where it was passed uncut by the BBFC, but then when the video nasty scandal happened, because of that one... 10 second bit it's it it it's now on the on the list and it's it's ridiculous and it was only passed uncut in 1999 and the uh the correspondence that prano bailey bond was reading out before it a lot of the bbfc people were very aware it was an excellent film or that it had merit but they were still very iffy about it even though they did pass it yeah because it, it was like even at the time it was getting great i mean it had some detractors, but it was getting amazing reviews. People been like, this is bonkers, but it's so incredibly done and shows some incredible stuff. So for them to ban it... Like, you don't get, like, something premiering at Cannes. And when Salo was going through all this, there's, like, so much to talk about on Salo censorship. There was, because it was a Pasolini film, there was such an awareness of how this would look um, in the correspondence on that. There is, you know, we're... Go- I, I can't remember who said... I think it's actually James Herman from the BBFC says this. It's like, we're going to look so bad if we ban this film. Like, only Ireland in the EU has banned it. Every other country hasn't. And we're going to look terrible if we do that. Yeah. But this, there was none of that. Which is crazy. They're, uh, they're doing a 4K restoration. And, like, I definitely want a copy of this on Blu-ray. Oh, oh absolutely. After seeing it. Like... It's a beautiful film as well. Like, it's very blue. (laughs) Well, the the real star of the film, in my eyes, is the camera work. I mean, this is the kind of camera work I adore. I, like, and, and, like, the settings as well. And it makes so much harder in pre-production. Like, having these camera shots that sort of still for a while and then just suddenly follow someone out of a building, like down the staircase. That's one of my favorite shots in the film is when he's fighting and she runs yeah. out of the house and the camera goes from being really still to like running at the top speed down the staircase and then out the house. Like to find a location where you have like, you'd want to use the entire location like that. That takes a lot more effort than just building a film set, but it really just adds to the world. It adds to the grit of it. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, it is incredible. I knew when I was watching that scene, that I mean, I adored it, but I knew you would talk about it. Because that... that... <laughs> Dom knows what I like. Yeah, the camera work in that is uh, uh, unbelievable. The, the the scene where they're talking at the cafe as well, when then they can't even look at each other, which, you know, the long takes letting the acting do its work, but then when, when Sam Neill goes nuts and there's a film build, it just gets more and more and more. Yeah, it's a very... It's an intense film. <laughs> <laughs> to say that, to downplay it, it is. to an, a ridiculous degree. <laughs> but it's got a sense of humour as well, which is really, like, like you know, in that scene of Samuel and all the chefs jump on him and whatnot. It's got a sense of humour that, that kind of, it's not laugh out loud funny, but it lands despite how intense the film is. Like, Heimrich is hilarious. Oh yeah, Heimrich. I mean, I think, like you said, I think he's my favourite character as well. I was very sad when he died. I hated how he died as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh i love i love that sam neill's a, a spy and he can just do all this shit i mean I, when he rocks up to the flat in kreuzberg in the like w- 
white, like pristine white, like suit. It's just so funny. Yeah, it it's is just so funny. And that's those like and the way he talks, like this is like the most over exaggerated thing ever. Yeah, I mean it's. I mean that has to be on purpose. Like all of the because everything oh, is just... completely over exaggerated. Well, tell me if this is a really weird thing to say, but, like, this film is so, so dangerously close at points to being terrible. Oh, yeah. It's, like, one of those where it gets, like, draws a fine line between what is incredible and obviously purposely done and what is purposely done but still terrible. Kind of like uh, Mulholland Drive, in a way, I'd say. Yeah, very Lynchian. Very Lynch. Lynch must have loved this film, is a guess of mine, but he must have. I mean... When I make this comparison to Mulholland Drive, Lynch being my favorite director, I'm like, I really mean it. This is an outstanding film, and it was better on a second watch, and it was it was crazy in the cinema, particularly as I think I watched it very poor quality um, at the time, and I was watching it in my uh, halls of residence in first year of uni, and I was just praying no one walked in. <laughs> I could have been in the kitchen. I was like, no, please, no one come in, and let I have to explain. I remember. Watching films in your kitchen as well at uni. I cannot imagine watching Possession in that kitchen. <laughs> Just <laughs> like I was watching Francis Ha one time, and someone came in and thought it was the most like pretentious, artsy thing they'd ever seen from two minutes of it. Which that's their fault, but for this, I wouldn't blame them. Yeah, they'd have probably died if they'd have walked in at some of the scenes on Possession. <laughs> Like, that scene where she's having sex with monsters, I literally said out loud the first time I saw it to, like, no one, because it was just me, like, what the actual fuck? Yeah, it's fucked up. Also, is the monster real, Sterny? Oh! Well, it's... It's obviously... It's obviously kind of morphing into, like, something that, you know, the idealised version of a partner. I mean, I, I guess so. So much happens around it that it's clearly real. I mean, it's obviously a metaphor. I think the main theme of the film is, is you know, it's not just a breakdown of the marriage and that's being paralleled by the end of the world, but um, it's like they both want their, like, super idealized partners. And for that, it's... For Isabel Arjani, it's this monstrous, you know, thing that morphs into Sam Neill at the end uh, that can, you know, sexually satisfy her. And whatnot, and for Sam Neill, it's the uh, school teacher who you know does the dishes and whatnot. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Looks after the kids. It, well, it's that idea of the doppelganger, isn't it? Like both of them die, but then get replaced. Or it's that's very blue velvet, isn't it? That's incredibly blue, blue velvet. Like people get replaced, and um, oh, and lost highway. I was just about and to say, and lost highway. Yep. <laughs> Lynch had to have loved this. <laughs> and. Aljani pulls off that dual performance so well. And so does Sam Neill when Sam Neill pops up at the end. I mean, that's a that's a great reveal, that. Oh, it is. The, it getting morphed into him is incredible. I mean, the film gets, like, quite incomprehensible towards the end. I mean, the end, this is another example of it's it's so close to being bad when Sam Neill's just murdering everyone. <laughs> like, that could go terribly I love how he just starts yeah. killing Have everyone. Have you seen the movie May? I've not seen May, actually, no. The first two acts of the, or act and a half is really good, and it goes completely over the line where she starts murdering everyone, and you don't believe it. This, You believe it, and even though it's completely absurd, and he kills people in these very crazy, precise ways, um, it's just you're still hooked and engaged in the film because of the directing and the performances and because of the atmosphere and the completely weird tone the film has throughout. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it 
it did throw me off guard a little when he just started killing everyone. But that is the thing, it made... It didn't make it go off the deep end ridiculous. Like, it's still... I was still in there. The, the special effects are really good as well. I mean, the monster effects, the kind of body horror effects, uh, like in the uh, miscarriage scene, uh, explosion, all really well done. Yeah, super well done for... I'm assuming it was like... What are we? What are we? Low saying? budget, right? Uh, two point four million for two million. Yeah. So not like crazy low budget. What do you think of the like spiritual themes, the twin sisters of faith and chance or whatnot? Because I gotta say, I cannot make heads nor tails of it. Yet it's clearly really important. I mean, the scene where um, Heinrich's mother kills herself—that's like clearly like. Zuolski clearly thinks that's the most important scene in the film, but I can't make heads or tails of where these play into the rest of the film. I am exactly the same, because that's another Antichrist par- parallel. But it's so yes. much easier to understand in Antichrist where it's coming from. In this, I had, like, I cannot have a clue what any of it is. Like, it's not my vibe anyway, usually, with things, but trying to figure out, I just had, didn't have a clue. <laughs> like... I feel like it was sort of, you know, here and there mentioned then, like, you know, Isabel Aljani's characters at the church, and then, like, you have the big subway freakout, and it's like, okay, there's something being said here, and she's talking about these twin sisters or whatever, and I'm I'm, I'm lost. I'm sure it makes sense in Zuovsky's head. Oh, yeah, it definitely does. Well, um... I watched it and then was reading about it and I was like, it was like, and the director had just uh, got divorced and I was like, well, of course. Yeah, I was just about to mention that. Of course he did. Like, that makes so much sense. Like, Again, Antichrist parable, Lars von Trier was depressed and Zewalski was going for a divorce. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the most like, fuck you wife thing I've ever ever seen. You could do a nice little marathon. You could put Kramer versus Kramer than possession and marriage story. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> the whiplash. You definitely want to die by the end of it. But <laughs> 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 There's one more aspect. Uh, I feel we mention this in almost every episode because all these films, even the bad ones, not always the bad ones, but sometimes the bad ones have this in common. Really good music. Yeah. Always, like it's just it's just the fucking eighties, isn't it? Like the good music, it's just the eighties. Like, I I find it so weird that I listen to virtually every genre of music except for electronic. Uh, like Atari Teenage Riot would be like the exception to that, and I like the instrumentals behind Death Grips, but that's kind of it. But I love electronic movie scores. I love John Carpenter scores, and I love this, and I love the score from like Solaris as well. Like, it's so good. Yeah, same. I mean, that's the thing, because, like, obviously you mentioned Carpenter. That's how I know it, mostly. And it's, I listen to a bit more electronic than you, but again, it's my least known genre at all. But then I listen to it in films and I adore it. Like, it just, that those opening shots of, like, you know, Berlin with with the theme and it, um, the music's done by uh, Andre uh, Korsinitsky. <laughs> Korsanitsky, sorry. I was waiting for you to try and pronounce okay, it. I apologize. <laughs> um, but like, it just sets the tone so well. And at the end, when it's like really powerful, when Sam Neill's like escaping out the roof after the big shootout, oh, it just, 
it hits so good. It does, yeah. It it adds a, as it always does adds an amazing like intensity level to it, and just it's great as along with everything in this film. I mean, could you think of anything bad to say about this film? I guess the fact that it nearly leans into bad at points, but that almost makes it even better. Better, it's more fascinating. Um, ooh, what can I say? What can I say bad about Possession? Um, it's the ADR kind of sucks. You can kind of tell a lot of the scenes are dubbed over, but also it adds to the weirdness in a way. Yeah, well, I think it is one of those films as well where it's like anything that happens, you can even be like, it just adds to the insanity, though. Like, it almost gets a hall pass for it just being utterly mental, and that is such a favour for it. Like, It's kind of like Suspiria in that way, that that film's flaws just, like, it doesn't matter that some people really can't act in the film. It just makes it even weirder. Exactly. Even everyone acts in this great. Yeah, that's the thing. But everybody acts incredibly in this. So it's even it's even hard to point out flaws that might add to that. Like, it's just a fantastic movie. Who who would you recommend this to? Who would, like, you know, it, it's, it, it's somewhere between everyone should watch this and absolutely no one should watch uh, yeah, this. It's, you know? it's, it's somewhere there. Like, it's somewhere on that spectrum. Um, people who... I think if you're a fan of movies of, like, David Cronenberg and David Lynch, that kind of ilk, you will well, like Well, that's this. the thing. I was, was going to say, if you're a movie fan, definitely. And then when it gets further, like, definitely Lynch. Like, if you like Lynch stuff, watch this. This is, I'd say, more fucked up than Lynch. Doesn't get quite as cerebral as lynch it's more insane than cerebral but it's it's amazing i think i mean it's obviously not it's not as as cerebral and and thought-provoking as lynch but i think this is probably more difficult difficult to watch than i mean than like most of lynch's work because it really is so out there like the tone and script and you know a lot of the film's yelling and stuff it really it is pushing that line, and I love it. Yeah, exactly. I I adore it, too. It sounds like we've just been, like, going on about how much we love it, but this film is fantastic. Like, I went into it today not really having a clue what to expect, and it, was, it blew me away way more than I thought it would. It was the same with me when I first watched it. I'm like, I, I was aware this was not you know, Cannibal Therox. I was aware it was a, a somewhat serious film, but I was like, oh, I did not expect this. No, exactly. But I think that's the, like, definite final message of the film is it's very unexpected. <laughs> like, Do we have any more final thoughts? Or I, I think that kind of summed it yeah, up. Yeah, I think we did. Be- it's yeah, brilliant. Just watch it. Like, if you're listening to this, you probably want to watch it. So just watch it. <laughs> so uh, next week we've gone from the best video nasty to one of the worst haven't we <laughs> yeah we've got to one of the worst we will be watching snuff um we're gonna be watching snuff which is i mean think of a bad splatter film it's worse than that yeah so look forward to that one it's hilarious at points not intentional. get ready for us to rip a film apart rather than love it like we usually do <laughs> well that's the thing we had another um sort of artsy thing planned which we're gonna do after snuff but because we slid possession in here 
um, we've, we're putting in a bit of trash just to even it yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. And then we got two more good ones on the we way. We can't always be loving films. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Thank you, bye. You've been listening to the Extreme Cinema Podcast with Alexander Sternberg and Dom Loach. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing as it really helps us out. The original artwork for the podcast was done by George Arnold. The Extreme Cinema Podcast, available where all good podcasts are available.